Eric Schaefer Gilbert has worked as a senior level professional in the tech industry, working in roles such as tech architect, VP of technology, consultant, senior engineer, enterprise architect, and cloud solutions architect in some of the leading firms, including Exodus Communications, Sybase, and Fire 3 par Docker, HP, and Red Hat. Um, Shaker approached me about an invention he had in 2018, which is a device that holds a cell phone on any mode of transportation. I thought I, um, that it had huge potential. And uh, we've got um, Shaker patent pending now, and he's developed a company called Viewing, V-U-W-I-N-G, around his invention. What I love about David is how strategic and systematic he is in developing his product and exploring the required skill set for his company, including manufacturing operations, investment, and marketing. This was a great talk because it was genuine advice. We discussed the pluses and, frankly, many huge minuses of funding platforms such as Kickstarter and the Indiegogo, the values um, using search engine um, or social media advertising and hint, hint, we both agreed that Facebook was the most focused and value added of the lot and found the rest complicated plus too expensive for startups. We also discussed the effect of COVID-19 on business. Shaker's walking the walk and he's been incredibly generous in sharing what works and what doesn't with new entrepreneurs. In 2018, David, actually it was about February 2018, David walked in my office and he said he had an idea. And uh, we're going to be talking about his company, Viewing Corporation, that he formed around that idea and uh, his successes, the challenges during COVID-19. And I think it'll be a really positive experience for you. So with that being said, welcome, David. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and actually, Shaker is my middle name. So that's why I go by that. Ah, I thought it was like a nickname that you picked up. I'm sorry. No, no. Actually, there is a long unrelated story to how that came about, it, um, <laughs> but, but that's for another podcast. Okay, Shaker. So yeah. So let, let's uh, just talk briefly about, you know, how, first of all, what your idea was at the time and what, you know, what made you pick up the phone and, uh, and give me a call. Full disclosure, uh, Shaker is currently a client of, of ours. I'm very happy to, to say that. Um, so great question. Um, in my role, and I do a lot of technology sales, so I visit a lot of customers and I, I travel a lot, uh, whether it's by train or, or primarily planes, but sometimes I'll, I'll take a train. So I live in Northern Virginia and I'll take a train up to New York if I don't want to drive or, or whatever. Mm -hmm. And um, I've been traveling quite a lot. And uh, when I'm on my, you know, on a plane, um, I, I typically watch movies on my, on my phone. Right. So um, it was late at night, um, and I just pulled up my phone, started watching a movie, and I'm sitting there, and I'm holding it, and you know the type like this. You've been in this position before, right? <laughs> right, exactly. The movie, you know, in the confined space, and the, the lady um, came, you know, came to my row, and I, I wanted to drink or some food, and now I, I've got a tray, and I'm trying to how do I how do I navigate the tray and my phone and and you got to hold keep it watching the whole my time. It's awful, yeah. right? Right. You know, or sometimes you just give up and you put it away. Yeah. But anyway, so I looked around the, the plane cabin and I noticed that everybody was in the same situation I was in, you know, or, or they were doing some sort of, you know, I'll take that magazine and I'll fold that magazine in the headrest and I'll try to prop my phone there. And, you know, a little bit of turbulence. Next thing you know, it's on the floor or, or they're, they're, they, everybody tries to come up with a creative way to, to just do this one simple thing. And then I started looking around um, uh, for you know, any, any device that existed that could hold the phone for me while I travel. And there, there are a, a few or a couple out there 
that right. do it. But I just didn't think that it did it the way I wanted it to work. Um, so I started drafting ideas and um, uh, kind of, you know, scribbling out some, some things. And um, I thought it was, it, there was potential here. Right. So right. I started circulating it with some, some of my, uh, some of my friends, just the idea. I didn't have a product, just the idea would, would something like this work? And they thought it would. Um, and then I started getting a lot of recommendations from people. And that's really when it's, when I started thinking this could be something right? right. When everybody's like, well, that's a great idea. Maybe it should do this. Maybe it should do that. That kind of got their juices going too. So then that's when I decided, you know, I need to, I need to talk to, need to talk to a professional, you know, and is this actually going to be something that I could take and turn into a real product and could it ever be a real product? Um, so that's when I picked up the phone and scheduled the meeting with you. And we had our first conversation. I think walking out of that meeting, I realized that this could be real. And I think that's, that's when that epiphany moment this could come off of paper finally for the first time and be a product. I don't know if it's going to be big, but I definitely believe that it's useful. So what, what were your, and I'm not fishing for compliments, but you're welcome to make them. <laughs> what, what was the experience you had? Because a lot of people are kind of scared to reach out to a panel lawyer or any other professional. And they're you know worried about the dollars and what they'll think and all that. What was your, I mean, you could be totally honest and candid. We haven't rehearsed this or anything. What was your experience like? And, what made you sort of more pumped about it, you know, leaving the office? Well, um, there's, when you talk to, well, uh, again, in full disclosure, uh, your <laughs> firm wasn't the first one I contacted. Okay. Right? So it was, there was a list, you know, or not really a oh, list. Oh, man. The first time I, you Google it, you're like, what are the top 10, you know, patent lawyers in my area? And all of a sudden there's like a list of a, a couple of them that show up and I, I know that your firm was like in the top three of the Google search, right? So I'll take it. <laughs> um, yeah. I, hell, hell, I however, that, right? however it happens by whatever magic, right? Right. Sure. I, know, I know. So I, but, but I called one and they were just, a, just a pain to even get a meeting with. And then uh-huh. uh, the other one that I contacted, I, I just, I don't, they didn't make me feel comfortable. You know, you, you've always got this thought in the back of your mind that, that, everybody's kind of in it for themselves. So am I going to end up sinking a lot of money into something that could yes. end up being nothing? Right. And then when we talked on the phone, just to set up that initial console, you know, you, you made me feel like it's, you know, th- look, this is, we're at the idea phase, you know, and you were going to be honest with me. If this was something that isn't going to make it or, or exactly. didn't really have any legs you, I felt like you would be honest with me. Um, exactly. If you felt that this could go further then you weren't like, let's just go for it. You know, it was more like, let's take this in steps, right? So you made me more comfortable during the initial process that helped give me the confidence to take that next step. And I wasn't losing my shirt just because we decided to take that next step. Well, thank you for saying that. I appreciate that. Um, One thing I I just want to point out for people, first of all, it's good for lawyers to realize, you know, how you're coming across. Sometimes you're kind of scaring clients a little bit. Uh, It's good to be sort of a bit more friendly in your approach. Um, but at the same time, Shaker, you have to understand that like, as from the lawyer's perspective, um, I I'm excited and I'm excited for you, but at the same time, it's like, you know, what if we do a prior art search and there are lots of other, as a matter of fact, we did a prior art search for you, if you recall, and yeah. what if there are lots of other candidates out there and it's too close for you to really, for it to make economic sense for you to go forward with the patenting. 
as I always tell people, there may be inventions that are close to yours, but you might have distinguishing features. And then we have to determine whether it's commercially feasible for you. But I right. saw that, you know, you were very serious about this. So let's just call it guarded, you know, as much excitement as you can get from a lawyer, <laughs> which <laughs> isn't that much, but it's like- Guarded uh, optimism. You know, <laughs> was that? Guarded optimism. Guarded optimism, yeah. But it was. Yeah. Uh, but the other thing that they can come across in your when you're talking to to your um, IP lawyer um, is, I think you know, you're. This is a first time for you, right? You're not. Yeah. You haven't invented other things in the past. No. It's nice to be able to talk to someone um, who does this kind of work every single day. Um, who tells you, no problem, we're going to have an application ready for you, we'll file it, and then we'll go forward with the patent. So it kind of makes something that you're thinking about kind of more real, you know, because mm -hmm. you can read about it all day, but all of a sudden you're dealing with somebody who's doing it all the time. So yeah. that, maybe that gives you a little bit of a feel good. Well, so, and before I showed up at your office too, I, you know, I'm familiar with the trademark patents system somewhat, not that I've ever patented a product before, right. but I have, you know, created trademarks and stuff like that just for prior companies. So I was familiar with the system enough to get down there and just kind of do word searches, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, they've got a really good database. You just start doing some word searches and they could turn up potential um, patents or trademarks that, that you could look at. And I really didn't see anything in my search that, so that also gave me a little bit more confidence walking into your office. I've, I've done a, just a little bit of the legwork, but I, I knew that I needed to talk to somebody who could do the real investigation, but mm -hmm. I felt like. I had enough material that I was confident enough to at least pursue it, you know, and then uh, you felt the same way. We did the initial search. You yeah. came back. I, I think it was uh, like one or two weeks later and said, this is a patentable idea. That's right. So we did a search and a uh, full search and search report for you, by the way, not everybody gets a search um, um, and a search report. I gently recommend it. And, um, you know, from, from my perspective, it's, you know, it's kind of cl close to, if not at cost. So mm -hmm. we just, it's kind of like um, something to try to help out. But we also talk about, you know, the pluses and minuses of it. I think as somebody who does a lot of licensing and litigation work, it's always better to have more references known to the patent office and strengthens your um, patent application. And part of that is because let's say you're going before a a judge or jury, you know, you've got your, your patent. Um, it's if those references that the, the other side is going to try to use to invalidate your patent, and they may be some of the ones that you find during your search. If it, if um, the examiner has seen them and still allowed it, 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 it creates this very nice, you know, perceived strength that you've got. Mm -hmm. um, the negative is that if you know about a, a patent that's that bears on the patentability. You know the wording's a little bit different in the technically in the law now, but basically it could affect the scope of your claims. That's that's the legal standard. If that's the case, then you have to tell the USPTO. It's not like you can hold it back. So right. sometimes inventors are actually worried about disclosing it for that reason because they're they're worried and I say no let's get it all out it's much better for you it'll it'll protect the patent it'll make it stronger you don't want to you know be seen as holding anything back and right. it's it's going to work out because whatever it, uh, rejections that the examiner makes you can typically find ways to overcome them in the back and forth i realize that in your application you know shaker right now is patent pending 
but he hasn't had the first examination of his patent application yet. Right. right. So you haven't been through that wonderful process. <laughs> it's like, because yeah, I look at your face, I'm like, what is he talking about? <laughs> so, no, like, I mean, we, we, we it hasn't to, happened yet, but it's, it's, you know, that's in November, right? So that, that should hit November. <laughs> that's I think right. We found that out. Right. So, so you, just to wrap up on the IP stuff, because I really want to get into, into your forming the business and all the, you know, same things sure. you've been, you've been doing. Um, you, we filed a provisional patent application after the search was done, and within a year, we did the non-provisional, which mm -hmm. the non-provisional is actually the utility application. It's the one that becomes a patent. The provisional doesn't get examined. That's just so uh, if anybody's watching this podcast and haven't been through the patenting process before, it's, it's good to see someone who's been through it. Now, after you came to my office, and again, we worked diligently on the patent application before you went off and speaking with anyone. We made sure we filed it first to give you protection, mm -hmm. right? Right. Um, right? So starting from the time that you filed it first, tell me some of your adventures. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> there's a loaded question. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was, it was, so I had already, we had already been preparing for the, um, uh, for the provisional and then uh, putting all the paperwork together. And at the same time we were doing that, I started getting, you know, 3d models of the actual product in and started doing some evaluations of that. And um, I generated a non-disclosure agreement, and I would give the, these models or these prototypes out to uh, people that I trusted to actually use, start using them. Um, and the reason why I was doing that was uh, the next step I wanted to do a crowdfunding campaign, uh, thinking that that might be the best avenue that I could get the product exposure and potentially sell the product um, kind of a win-win, right? So I don't need to invest a huge amount of money uh, up front, uh, but at the same time, I could at least get the product made. And there was you know, material costs associated with that too, getting the, the mold created, um, any packaging, getting that done. And there's just a, a long line of stuff that we could probably cover um, so that I had to prepare me, for. Excuse me for one second. Let me just stop yeah. you there for one second so I can just give um, the, a rundown of the law. It's okay. important for people to know that um, before your patent application is filed, you should have non-disclosures in place with anybody you're speaking with about your invention, anybody who knows. You should, you should not be offering it for sale or anything like that, okay? Um, that will give you protection with because if a disclosure in the U.S. starts a one-year clock, where within that one year you have to file the application. In a lot of countries, you lose the rights right away. So it's something to be really careful of. That NDA is important, not just because you don't want those people to know your invention, but because it gives you protection to get your patent in the first place. Now, you knew all that, and you're, you're negotiating. You have all your stuff done under NDA good stuff. We talked about this before. And then, so you're th actually thinking about how do I manufacture and produce it? And at the same time, how do I start a funding campaign on places like Kickstarter and Indiegogo? Right now. So I had to figure out what crowdfunding campaign to actually launch. Um, and I initially looked at crowd or Kickstarter because it was, it's the name brand, right? So it's the one you think of most. And as I started digging into it, I realized that Kickstarter was really geared more toward the arts. Like if you wanted to create a music album or you wanted to create a comic book or, or something like along that line, um, or a short film, um, whatever the case is, it was really geared more for the arts, um, where Indiegogo. Why do you say that? I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I just want to yeah. kind of know why do you feel that way? And why was it more difficult for an invention like yours 
Well, if you just look at the platform, right? So right. if you actually go to Kickstarter uh-huh. and you do a little bit of just looking at what they're what they're what they're hosting there, it's really geared for uh, arts. I mean, the platform itself is geared more for the arts. Okay. Um, they also have an all or none rule. So, let's say you wanted to launch your campaign and you said, "Well, I need ten thousand dollars to create the create the product," and then that would give me money to produce the product for those who contributed to the product. Whatever, mm-hmm. um, it's an all or nothing. You have to get all of that. Ten thousand uh, dollars in order to get any funds whatsoever, and they still have their cut out of that, and then you well, can, can produce you, the can product. You explain what that what you mean by the all or nothing. Like it's so you how, you how is to, it? Yeah, what's the process of, of putting it in, and 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 you know how, what does that really mean? The all or nothing. Yeah. So uh, what that means is you set the target goal for your campaign to be ten thousand dollars. You must achieve contributions of equal to that campaign goal, or you get zero. Ah, that's so tough. that's yeah, that's tough, right? So when you're starting out, and the one of the goals was was not to tap yourself dry, but to produce a product, it's it's a little bit of a challenge. Um, the other the other platform I looked at was Indiegogo, uh, and when you look at its platform, you'll notice that it has it's really technology focused. They've got you know battery chargers for phones and um, yeah. you name it, uh, you know, one wheel scooter things. It just, it's more of like, like hardware component kind of stuff. Um, so I figured that would be a better platform and they did not have an all or nothing, um, achievement. You could go into, I, I can't remember what, what they call it now, kind of like a flex model where let's say your goal again was $10,000 and you made 2000 of that. Uh, as long as you provided, um, uh, the product or whatever you said to those uh, contributors, you got the money. So right. you could say, well, I'm going to do a, a $25,000 campaign on Indiegogo and hopefully I get 10, right? And then you get the 10 and now you've got, um, you could produce your product or whatever and turn that over to customers uh, or to contributors or backers, what they're really referred to as. With, with um, respect to these, excuse me, um, with respect yeah. to these, were you offering something to people or yeah, so in, for in, generosity. So well, both, <laughs> right? Okay. So uh, a one dollar contribution in my case, um, it was it was just a donation, right? Mm-hmm. So you would get updates and stuff as the uh, as the um, uh, as the campaign went on. And typical campaigns run anywhere between forty five and sixty days. And I think I booked the Indiegogo campaign that I was actually on for sixty days. Um, so one dollar, you could just follow along anytime I did an update or whatever. You would get notified that these updates are done. Uh, you could also buy the product, and I was selling it as you know single unit, double units, or up to four at a time. Uh, obviously, the more you bought, the less uh, it would cost you, and uh, you would be on the ground floor to get the first real product out um, that was you know molded and not three D printed or anything. You'd get the real product. So. Um, uh, that's yeah. So that's how it was funded. So they would back it by buying a product, essentially. Okay. Very cool. Yeah. Um, do you happen to have it with you? Um, right the, now? the product. Yeah. Yeah. Could you show um, it? Because I know, I just don't want to make it too much the abstract. And you know, it's good for people to see what it is. Sure. Uh, okay. So well, this is in a box. All right. <laughs> this is what you're going to be getting in a couple of days. Um, I'm looking forward to it. I've been using the prototype for forever. Honestly, <laughs> since you walked in with the prototype, I've been using it every time I travel. Of course, it's durable. Right? That's come to a stop. But. Right. So this this is it. Um, it's awesome. called the viewing. And what it does, it, it's not, well, 
uh, I had a mental list of requirements, again, as being a traveler that I wanted the final product to do. Um, the first thing is to be flat, right? So be as thin and unobstructed as possible because it's super easy for me just to throw it in my bag and forget about it. And then, and I do, and then I happen to be on a plane. I'm like, oh yeah, I can grab that right out of the bag. And it doesn't take up a lot of room. It's not bulky. It's made out of a, a rubberized plastic. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's nice and flexible. And that's uh, uh, one of our uh, use cases as well as the, if the pocket or whatever you're going to be putting in, you just fold that wing up and slide it in there and it applies tension to the pocket to help hold the device. But let me show, show it's in use. Yes. So um, it's really easy to use. Uh, what you'll do is you'll pull this top, see if I get a little closer here, you pull this top arm down like that. And you can see by doing that, it comes back up and applies a little bit of tension, but you slip your phone in there like that. And then in the back of a uh, airplane, they usually have a magazine pocket right here. And this slides right into the magazine pocket and this rests on the edge. So it'll be like that, right? And it's also at an angle where it puts it right about here on your face. So it keeps the angle up more toward the eye. So you're not hunched over Mm -hmm. and causing what they consider like a text neck kind of issue where you start getting the hump in your back and um, it, you have a lot of other spine issues uh, related to sitting in confined places for hours. So it'll hold it like this, but I also wanted it to be able to, to work on multiple use cases, not just for that pocket. So if you've got the kind of plane back that just has a tray, nothing up here, just a lock tray or on trains, they have uh, sometimes trains have a a pot or a tray system. That's high. that has a little lock on it. So instead of it going in the pocket like this, you turn it around like that so backwards so when you put it in the train the tray it's going to lock in there flat like this and hold it like that so it's right at your face again yeah that's that's so, also really cool because some of the airlines for example the, they've changed the pockets up and it's, right. it's different so it's very adaptable that way right and it can it, because it's nice and thin too it, it goes between that two millimeter gap in the tray and the back wall without causing any um any mechanical failure on the tray system itself um, yeah, so it'll do that. And then if the pocket is really big, like if you ever fly a Southwest uh, Airlines, you could practically put your backpack in the size of their pockets. Right. And that's where that, that folding really comes into play because then you would fold it like this before you put it in there and it helps hold it tight inside the pocket so it doesn't wobble around in there. But if you notice, it keeps my phone nice and secure. Yes. Right. So if there's any turbulence on the plane, I don't have to worry about propping it up on something you know, mm-hmm. and then the last use case is just laying flat on a desk like that. Yeah. That's so one. that's right. You could literally be at the airport or at the bus station having dinner or having, you know, uh, lunch, set this on a counter or a table, start watching your movie, get on the plane and finish your movie. Right. So that was the whole purpose of, of doing it. So I have one device that I can travel with wherever I go, keep it durable and, um, hopefully last a lot of plus I wanted to make sure that we upgrade these phones a lot, right? So different Absolutely. sizes and this works on pretty much every size phone up to three and a half inches wide, which is up to like the max pros or whatever they're called today. Um, and with most cases, except for like the big bulky militarized otter box cases, um, but it supports a lot of different, uh, a lot of different hands- handsets. So that's it. 
Well, it's, it's, it's good for people to know a number of things about this. First of all, the patent application itself, which is ultimately be patented, has a lot of different embodiments. And these are some of the embodiments, but there are a lot of others. And this is a common thing that inventors um, experience, which is they're thinking what's going to be the best commercially feasible one. And you're not limited in as long as this, as a person of ordinary skill in this field and this technology is able to make and use it, um, your invention based on the written description of it. Um, you're welcome to add that information um, as embodiments to your specification, which will give you more breadth and it'll give you more coverage with the claims. The claims are actually your IP. Now, um, having said, this is probably the most, honestly, this is probably the most talking about IP that I've done in any of our podcasts. <laughs> We've done a lot. Of, so, but um, that kind of gives you sort of a, an idea of how, you know, the parallelism between the patent and the product itself. But it's really interesting because what looks like a very simple product, a lot of thought has gone into it, right? Um, well, yeah. A lot of design has gone into it. You've, yeah, you've, we've had a lot of failures. I mean, and here's talking about specific, very real examples that, you know, like depending on the pocket size, you have to figure out how to deal with Southwest, for example, or if let's right. say you don't have any pockets or what if the person just wants to use it on a desk that, so for what looks like a very simple design has a lot of, of thought into it. Yeah. And we've, you know, we've come up with a bunch of other use cases as well. Mm -hmm. if, you, if anybody visits our website, you'll see that it's, you know, holding a phone, hanging on a luggage handle, right? So you, you might be you sitting at your website, gate. Website for, for our listeners, please. Uh, what's sure. Your yeah. It's uh, viewing.com, V-U-W-I-N-G.com. Very good. And uh, there's, we're also on, I'm heavy on Instagram. So at viewing. Uh, if anybody wants to check out the pictures there, uh, but yeah, so you uh, you know you can hang it on luggage too. I mean, it's got a lot of different uh, use cases to it, um, and uh, yeah, we're hoping to get it. And I think I talked to you about this a little while ago. There's one store I've really been targeting, trying to. And to, what is that store? <laughs> the Hudson Group of, of all. Hudson I mean, Group, are you listening? <laughs> I know. I mean. Um, talk about the traveler's best friend, right? I mean, that's what their their motto is. I mean, what could be a better solution for a traveler today, right? So, so uh, Hudson anyway. Group. Um, explain about Hudson Group. They're they're the the folks that have you know whenever you're in an airport, they've got some kind of a store there where people. Yeah, are. they've got a lot of different style stores too. They started out with books many many years ago. Um, so that if you go to an airport or a train station, they would have like a bookstore. But that they moved on to food, uh, you know, beverages as well. Um, but they do a lot of uh, gadgets now, right? So like if you've lost your your battery charger or whatever, a cable or a headset or whatever, you can go to their store and get your snacks, get your magazine, get your newspaper, get your gadget, and then be at the air, uh, be at your airport. And they're like at, or be at your flight, but they're like at, um, I don't know, just hundreds of airports around the, around the country. And I, as you know, again, frequent traveler, I always end up at their store, right? I'm going to pick up a bottle of water. I'm going to pick up maybe a, um, a, a bag of popcorn or something there uh, and maybe catch up on some news and then head to my gate, jump on my plane. Um, it would be great if they also had this. So, uh, so Shaker, you think that this would be, so you're, you're thinking again, I, I want to go back into the business of this and go ba yeah. back to the campaigns you ran. Yeah, we're, we're talking about this would be a, a very good result, uh, both for you and Hudson Group, 
because they've got tons of people walking through there. And I can't imagine anything more convenient for a traveler um, than something right. older cell phone, whether they want to watch a movie or, or email somebody. Uh, that's why I thought this was, you know, I, I wanted yeah, to listen to the music <laughs> when you walked into the office. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's uh, people do a lot of things today with on their phones and in, by interacting with apps um, and you're doing it at the airport. I mean, I, I challenge you to go into any airport and look around at the gate and find somebody who's not looking at their phone. Um, so exactly. why not it's have part of our right arm now or left arm? It absolutely is. Absolutely is. Um, and I, I really think that having this product in the Hudson group um, would help drive customers to their, um, to their store. First of, first of all, cause they'd be the only ones wink, wink, the only ones that would have the product in their store. Um, but it would, would have also some be better though, store. right? Shaker. Yeah. So if this doesn't turn out, I've already got the number two. So they're on speed dial. <laughs> they're on speed dial, right? They're okay. on speed dial. That's right. No, I didn't but mean I'm, to cut off what you were saying. Was no, no, it's fine. I mean, I, I've done, if you look at my Instagram, I've even done like, I love you kind of montages for the Hudson group, <laughs> just trying to get in there, you know, and I've sent product to their, you know, to the marketing department and everything else. I'm trying, I'm trying, but then of course the COVID-19 hit. So I've kind of backed off, but we're, we're kind of turning the corner. I, I think on some of that. So uh, hopefully we get back out there. Well, well, let's backtrack just a little bit because sure. you've had commercial success for sure. Yeah. Um, first of all, let's just go back, if you don't mind, and and talk about, you know, how things ended up with the the platforms, you know. The, sure. The yeah. Uh, so I, I launched with uh, Indiegogo and then there were there were a, a few things converged all around the same time. I mean, I'm still trying to finalize what the actual product is going to look like. Um, so, and what I mean by that is I'm already working with CAD engineers to kind of design it. And then I've got prototypes coming in, I'm reevaluating, I'm sending demos out to friends to, to try. Um, I'm trying them myself on in different use cases. Um, uh, I've got to look at materials, what type of material, whether it's a hard plastic or the plastic we end up using. I mean, here, here's a failure, right? This is a old prototype failure. Mm-hmm. It's just a hard piece of plastic. There's no way that would work. Okay. So, um, and then I've got some that are just like paper, right? I'm just horrible. But anyway, so I'm going through all that and I have to find people to help me because I can't do it all on my own. Right. Um, so I found a, a couple of websites out there that I could hire contractors to do specific uses that I needed them to do, whether that was helping me with branding, helping me with the website, helping me with the Indiegogo campaign, helping me with artwork or, or, or the CAD stuff. Um, uh, all of that, right? So, so, so those are. This is really, really great. I, I mean, for me, it's 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 incredible. It, are you saying places like Upwork where you can hire? Upwork, professionals? that's exactly that's. So exactly you're looking the platform to, that I chose. You're looking to get that task done, um, but you need it done without spending a fortune, and you want to find someone right. who, professional who does a lot of it. Right, right, and they got different, you know, different classifications of professional, right? How many, how long they've been in in business or or whatever, um, and you, I just put out a job request. People could compete for for the job, and then I would interview them, and then you know whittle them down and make a selection and go go forward with the project. And what did you? What, what were this? Can you name again what it was that you specifically were looking on those kinds of platforms for? Um, was so, it design? Well, it, I guess it was the manufacturing. It was well. So it's not. It wasn't the manufacturing yet. I was. The, 
it's kind of predates the actual getting the mold created. Okay. But I needed somebody who could do CAD for me so I could actually get good quality 3D models created. Um, and then there was a 3D printing company that I used, um, 3D Hub. And I would order, so I would take the CAD drawings that the engineers would provide me. They have all the you know, uh, specifications and millimeters and everything. We've got it kind of shaped out. I've got a 3D rendering of it, everything. And I would send that to 3D Hub and they would print out you know, a couple of the product for me and then ship them to me. Then I could reevaluate. I actually have a physical product in my hand that then I could start you know, testing the, the texture strength, testing whether or not the arm would work. Um, and uh, of course, you know, actually using it to see if it would actually function the way I believe that it, it should function. So going through a bunch of, of those rounds uh, with the engineer, but I also needed a viewing, nobody knows what that is. And if you look at this, and you, we've talked about it, you, you have no idea what it is, right? So it's really a new product in a new market uh, that people don't really understand. So I also needed help with branding. You know, how do I, how do I take this? how do I take this product idea and, and make it and not only make it, but make the name in a way that um, would resonate what it does. Right. So, and, and what its use case is. So, um, and I had no idea how to do a website. Uh, I mean, I'm, I am technically inclined. I've been doing technical sales and I've been an engineer in the technical side. So it's not like I don't know how to build a website, but what website do you go to? What, you know, what, how do you build your web platform? How do you market a product on a web platform? Uh, so there was just a lot of, how do you create a sales that, yes. how do you, yeah, how do you do any of that? Right. So I had a lot of gaps early on that I needed to learn for myself, but also in some cases I contracted out for help. Not all the time did that help actually work, um, but I will tell you that you know to go back to our NDA uh, comment earlier, um, I did get an uncomfortable feeling a year later. But that guy signed an NDA, so uh, hopefully, hopefully, we're not knocking on his door a couple years from now. <laughs> so, okay. Yeah. So, so with um, what what did not work? I'm I'm a little curious because we try to give the real story here. Yeah. So um, there there were um, uh, there were there were issues with. I had a lot to learn, right? So there were issues with the learning process and the mm -hmm. people I were engaging with, and I ended up spending some money on things that I just ended up not even being needed. But I I kind of write that off as a learning curve. But actually, the platform itself ended up not working, right? Not working for me. Um, okay. I, I'm not big into social media, so you're you're not going to find me all over Facebook. Um, you're not going to find me on Twitter. Um, I am on Instagram, but it's a private account. Uh, my personal account is a private account, so you're not going to find me there. Mm -hmm. um, so I just, that's just not my thing, right? But if you go to a, a crowdfunding campaign, that means you have to do ads. And a lot of those ads are through those, uh, through those platforms. So okay. you're, it's not free, right? You, you're going to sign up your, your, your product or your idea on a platform, any crowdfunding platform. You've got their cut. They'll take whether you make it or not. Um, and then, uh, there's there's other fees associated to it, but the big bulk is all the advertising dollars you got to throw at something in order to get any any of the product back. So you might end up spending ten times the amount of money in ads in hope to achieve your your target goal. And when I looked at how much money I had that I I had a, I had a, a definitive line. You had a right? budget, right? So I you had, had a budget. Absolutely had a budget. 
I could do the campaign. And then if, if the campaign whittled, whittled me out of advertising dollars to a certain line, I right. could say no more and just do it myself. I'd have all the money 